As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Today's episode of the Leaf Report is presented by the Salvation Army. Your donations can help those affected by COVID-19 to find help and hope. To give, ask your smart speaker to make a donation to the Salvation Army or make your gift at SalvationArmy.ca. James, another edition of the Quarantine Leaf Report podcast. How are you doing? I'm excellent. How are you today? Superb. <laughs> Every day's the same, eh? Groundhog Day? I've been actually thinking of watching that movie. Uh, we can actually get into that on this podcast. Do you want to get things going? Yeah, no way. We have, we've had a lot of good guests. I think a lot of people are sitting around and just anxious to go on the Leaf Report podcast right now. So... Uh, we've got Biz Nasty, Paul Bissonette, the uh, the legend himself, has agreed to join us. Uh, we'll talk about his career and, and his life in the media and, and probably about the Leafs a little bit too, given it's the Leaf Report podcast. Uh, welcome aboard, Paul. Thanks for having me. I hope we're not talking about the Groundhog Day because I've never seen it. Oh, seriously! You should watch, you should yeah. watch it. It's a, great, yeah. it's a great movie. I just wonder if it would be kind of depressing to watch right now, given... It's kind of, he basically has to live the same day over and over and over and over again. And it drives me crazy. Is it with Bill Murray? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's All a right. now, now it's coming to me. I think I've seen bits and pieces. So after you announce who's on, we've probably lost, ha- lost half of your normal listeners. And now the other half are shaming <laughs> me because I've never seen that great movie. So we're off to a hot well, start here. Well, can I ask both of you guys, have you watched Contagion during the, the, the shutdown? No, no. no. I, I'm, I'm I avoiding all that. television and media as much as possible. 
all so television. It's a it's a movie biz. It's it's the number one movie on Netflix right now. I'm I'm shocked it's the number one movie. Like something like this happens and people just want to watch a movie about how bad like the worst case scenario or something. Yeah, yeah, not for me right now. I'm. Uh, you, how are you guys making out through all this? I mean, it's a little bit. Uh, I'm used to being on the move. I know you guys are used to being at the rink all the time and being in the mix. So, I'd imagine your social lives uh, not being there is difficult. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I got two little kids, so my social life isn't really as active as it might have been at a different time in my life. But yeah, I mean, like I miss you know going on the road and going to different cities and going to different arenas and seeing different people and. You know, I, I saw you in Arizona in uh, November. We were there. And I mean, I saw you. Where was that? Bottled Blonde? Was that the bar you were at? No, I don't even I don't even know the name. Was of it, it skin? Was it skin? No, never mind. <laughs> never, maybe that wasn't you. Never. Oh, yeah. You said you're married. Let's let's no, move on here. No, I saw you. At, I saw you at the rink and you had a bunch of bottles. Of oh, Pink yeah, Whitney that's right. And you had a bunch of bottles of Pink Whitney and you were walking around with them, giving them to everybody. And I was like, oh, bring me one. And then I never got one. And I was come on. Was, well, so I, I usually bring a case when I can and they, they go like hotcakes. So I owe you and Jonas and, uh, and your uh, producer there, Tyler, I'll get you guys all a bottle of pink Whitney. Excellent. Excellent. I could use one right now. What, it, I'm, so for- I'm off the booze. I'm, I, I have not drank a sip of alcohol since uh, new year's Eve. Wow. That's one of the things, especially during the quarantine. I just like, I, I don't know. I get the booze blues now. But so wait, Paul, like you're not watching TV. You're not drinking. Are you reading? Like, how are you spending this time? Well, uh, trying to get outside as much as possible, but of, of course, staying away from everyone, um, like hikes and, you know, my girlfriend just moved here from Florida. So we just been going outside, working out a lot. And then of course, planning for the podcast and, and just phone calls. Um, early on, we, we actually organized that uh, ECHL player relief fund, at least from the chiclet side of things where we had some old interviews in the bank and we were able to uh, to get some sponsors on board and we're going to try to raise some money for the players. I think right now, I think we're up to like, I think 75,000. And he's going to hate me for saying this, but uh, Dubis was one of the first people when he heard we were doing it who reached out and, and offered to give a helping hand. And he's going to hate me because he said, if you, if you don't mind keeping this under wraps, I'm not going to say what they did, but that just goes to show the character of the Leafs GM. And I knew you guys would love to hear that. So, so Paul, um, what was the impetus behind the ECHL relief fund? Like, were you just hearing stories? I know you played in the league. Were you just hearing stories from guys that were struggling? No, I was on my couch and, and, um, and it it popped up because obviously obviously the, with the leagues not knowing what was going on, they were the first one to cancel operations and a little more difficult at that level because they don't have the TV deals and, and, you know, maybe half these owners are, you know, just staying afloat by by what was coming in. But in the ECHL, the owners are not only um, on the hook for their salaries, but of course, where they live. So they just said, hey, let's nip, nip this in the butt right now. It doesn't look good moving forward. So the players actually lost out on their first, or sorry, their last three or four weeks of pay. So it's a ride out the season. So, you know, I played in the ECHL. It means a lot to me. Those were some of my funniest stories and memories from the game of hockey. Uh, it was the last time at the pro level where I was just genuinely happy out on the ice where I wasn't worried about making a mistake. Um, I was fortunate at that level to be on an NHL entry-level contract where you know, I made, I made decent money. And if this would have happened, then I would have been okay. But I know what these other guys were making who weren't. Some of them had families. Some of them were 
were, like loved the game so much that that money they were counting on to maybe get an apartment and and pay for their training and supplements for the summer to maybe get to the next level. So I was on my couch. I saw that. I reached out to a few of the guys. I reached out to Larry Landon, and we got the ball rolling. And uh, a bunch of other awesome people stepped up to help out with, uh, of course, the sponsors, the people involved with Barstool. And I think hopefully from our side of things, we could hopefully raise 150000 would be a nice number. I know like some guys in the ECHL are only making like 350 or 400 bucks a week or yeah, something like that. Like, it's crazy. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's, so they need a second job and it's, it's amazing that some of those guys battle all the way from that league, all the way up to the NHL, but with, like the way you did. Yeah. And, and as I mentioned, of course, I had a little bit of a, a quote unquote easier route because when you're on that NHL uh, entry level contract, they're going to usually call you up before anyone else. Well, maybe not in my case because I was messing things up so much down in the minors, but uh, <laughs> uh, that's another story. Uh, but I mean, I, I believe Alex Burroughs came from the ECHL off of an, uh, an yep. ECHL contract, and, and there's so many guys. I, I think over 700 people have uh, or players have graduated on from that level, and some of which weren't on entry level deals. So just just trying to do our part for a one sector of the hockey community. We, we're well aware there's a lot of people being affected right now. That was just the idea that came to my mind, and, and we were able to somewhat execute it, at least up until this point. Well, it's interesting you mentioned Kyle Dubas because he's been a huge booster of the ECHL and, and a huge driver of getting the team in Newfoundland and you know putting putting quality players there and signing players to AHL contracts and getting them in. Like He really believes that hockey should move more to the baseball model where – You've got double A and single A teams, and and the development is more than just the AHL, and you can get lots of playing time for guys. And the Growlers team out in Newfoundland won the championship, and we were out there for training camp with the Leafs. And it's I, I think that the hope is that the ECHL becomes more of a I don't know if I want to say a serious league, but the conditions for players get better, and it becomes part more part of the development for players that are trying to make it to the NHL. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Before expanding, expanding. I think taking care of the ECHL and making sure like even something like this wouldn't affect them and, yeah. and better resources and for in order for those guys to get up. There are a few other smaller leagues. I mean, uh, I don't, I don't know if the SPHL is still going though. Like some of these leagues and the, and the stories that come along with them. I mean, you're staying at the cockroach inn and you're going on the road. I mean, I, I had a few funny stories like that playing with wheeling. I mean, our, our bus would break down constantly, our sleeper bus and, there was even one game on the way to Johnstown where the booster bus was following us and our bus broke down. So the boosters were helping us unload our bags into the booster bus and we took the booster bus to the game and then they waited for that one to get fixed. And I think they eventually made their way to the game. But the funny part was, is it was a sleeper bus. So all these fans were, were crammed in the sleeper bus, probably lying down <laughs> in bunks. And so just, just little stuff like that, that, that make, made me end up appreciating the NHL level way more. Because you get some of these, some of these guys are right to the show. So these guys are like the the pampered boys, where they've never experienced the cockroach in, or you know maybe yeah. like the the, the, the pregame meal staff still having a heartbeat, and, and you're eating at the Olive Garden bread breadsticks. So those uh, those are what toughened us up. Well, so do you remember like that first year with Pittsburgh when you make the NHL? Are you just like looking around and being like, yeah, I can do this. I can get used to this. What was what was crazy about it was that I was me and Pittsburgh were having some issues because I was just being a young punk and I was upset that I'd been sent down to the East Coast at the time, but they had so much depth on D. Like I said, just being a young punk and I'd then gotten some off ice trouble when I was there and 
then it buried me even deeper, I thought. But by the by the end of my entry level contract, I'd been called up in that last third year, because they go three years long, um, where they switched me to left wing and then I started fighting. And next thing you know, I get a new contract from being in the East Coast at the start of the year to new contract to now starting in the NHL the next year. So it was it was it was a whirlwind. And uh and I actually got to play my first ever NHL game in Stockholm, Sweden, and it was at an mm-hmm. arena called the Globe. And Leafs fans will just drool at this one. Matt Sundin was dropping the ceremonial face-off, and we were playing against the Ottawa Senators. So Alfredson, then they had a bunch of Swedish guys on their team. I have never seen a standing O like the one that Matt Sundin got inside that arena. It was, I think, it probably lasted five minutes, and it was. I took it all in. I was not bored. I could have stayed there another twenty, and it was just fascinating how much they respected and loved. Um, Matt Sundin and, and not only what he meant on the ice but off the ice as well that first year in Pittsburgh you played a game in Toronto right at the ACC yes did I did game? yeah I'm, I met that's I met you there I would that was my first year covering the Leafs and I heard had heard about you there's this guy there's this Bissonette guy that's got this is before you were even on Twitter or anything some bozo on Twitter someone said that <laughs> they knew you from Saginaw or something and they said this guy's a crazy personality you should go talk to him and I was like I, so I, I talked to you in the dressing room when you were in the Pittsburgh dressing room in the ACC and I was like man what a nice guy and it'll be interesting to see kind of what his career path is I, you, you didn't spend the whole season in in the NHL no. that year but but I just like did you grow up a Leafs fan was that game when you played in Toronto was that like a big moment for you at that point well I I don't believe I played uh the you might have seen me in preseason playing against the Leafs in the okay. regular season. I don't think I played for Pittsburgh against the Leafs, but I ended up doing it when I was with uh, the Coyotes. Okay. And funny story there, my my old man. Uh, that was his first time ever playing or watching me play live, and it ended up being at the ACC. And Dave Tippett told me like night before, he's like, "Hey, you're in. Let your family know." Thank God, because if I wasn't playing, I didn't want to spend sixty thousand dollars on tickets. <laughs> Cause that's like the, that's the worst. That's a Tyson Nash story where he spent about 14 grand in tickets and then he got healthy scratch by Quinville. But, uh, but I ended up tipping a, a shot from Keith Yandel and I ended up scoring and I think it made it four or five one. And we ended up winning the game, uh, by, by one. And I ended up having the game winner and my old man, by the time I saw him after the game, he, my buddies had got him completely crippled. So he could he could barely stand up and remember what had happened because they were doing tequila shots on the concourse after I even put one in the net, <laughs> you know. So, uh, but going back to to the to the time I I, I met you, I, I sometimes I'm like, oh man, how was their experience? Because what if they came in after a loss and I was being a grumpy asshole? So, uh, hope, hopefully, your experience was a good one. No, it was a morning skate, and I didn't know anything about you. I just someone in in junior hockey or someone had said, "Oh, you should talk to this guy." I was like, "All right." I don't think I wrote anything or whatever. It's just introducing myself. So, but um, it's it's interesting. I mean, you would have been twenty four, almost twenty five years old at that point. You're breaking into the league a little bit later than some other guys, and it's interesting that. Um, I mean, did you ever think that about? Yeah, you kind of had to go the enforcer route to make it to the top. Did you ever think that that was the path you were going to end up on? I mean, because I know when you played in junior, you were, I think you were a captain of your team and 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 kind of a leader and things like that. No. Yeah, you know, it it, it, it surprisingly the thought process into switching positions when I was presented the opportunity by Pittsburgh, I didn't think about it long. It just kind of happened, and and I think um, 
people always ask me like, you know, what advice would you give guys? And I would say, don't stay stubborn in your role and like maybe let your ego aside because a lot of these guys drafted, if not all of them are drafted because of the best players at that level. So they're always being put in that position. Well, there's only so much to go around up top, right? And some guys just refuse to adapt or, or adjust in, in order to make it there where they want to be the guy where it's like, hey, man, you just you, you have to not only be born with it, but there's a lot of other factors that have to go that go involved in having world class talent. And, you know, I appreciate those guys for sticking to it. But I, I was like, hey, it's I think the writing's on the wall. It's going to be very difficult to, to make the NHL as a defenseman. Let's give this a try. So I switched over. Um, you know, I was a somewhat decent player. I was responsible in my own end. I think I could, you know, create a little bit of offense, at least in the minors. Um, and then fortunately fighting was still relevant. It was just at the end there and I was able to squeak in and what's fortunate, what's most fortunate for me was that was the time where the, the big heavyweights were kind of getting weeded out or weren't playing much. So I didn't consider myself very tough and I got a late start. I was getting the wheels beat off me in the minors by these mutants some of which were, were putting some of which were putting needles in their ass too and, and they'll probably admit it so i'm yeah. just getting speed bagged every night by the yablonskis or whoever these 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 tough guys were but when i got to the nhl level i, I never i don't think i played a game against colt nor maybe one game and that's a guy that i feared i never had to play against uh blue guard you know god rest his soul or 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 these guys that used to do it the old way man those guys used to just, they used to punch to hurt. I was just in it for the jersey jab, and, and all right, I'm done. I saw a video of you fighting someone recently, like a really tough guy in the NHL. I can't remember who it was. Who was the toughest Maybe. guy you had to you had to fight in the NHL? In the NHL, I mean, Jay yeah. Rosehill was was a was a fun mm -hmm. one for me. Yeah, we the, know him. The, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, he was in the minors with you guys. Oh yeah, tough, in the that's NHL. a tough tough farm boy. Yeah, he was with the Leafs for quite a while. I remember the uh, Jay Rosehill story. I remember is we were in Tampa. And the arena staff wouldn't let him in the building because they didn't believe he was a player. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> oh, I'm sure he loved that one. No, uh, I don't pissed. know how calm he is off the ice. So hopefully the, the security guard's doing all right. But uh, sorry, you know, yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, the I, I'd say my my most memorable fights are ones where they weren't just the ones where you drop them off the face off. Um, the Rose Hill one was that but it was because he took a run at Shane Doan because his team was down 3-1 and and I'm Shane Doan meant so much to me when I saw someone try to take a liberty on him I knew what Rosie was doing but my wires crossed I jumped on the ice you could actually see in the video off the face off when I look at tip we're up 3-1 guys so that's the you remember how they say oh be careful about the momentum shift I I truly believe as dumb as it sounds that that was a thing but because he went after Shane Doan, I'm like, no. I looked at Tip. I said, I'm going him. And he goes, all right. And I and I went him. And and it was a good bout. And Doner was on the bench patting me afterward. He loved it. They scored four and answered. <laughs> we lost did you five. Lose, we did lost you lose five. the fight then? I would say he. I would say it was fairly even, but I would definitely give him the, the victory, but it was, it was a good moral, moral scrap. The fans were going nuts. Like there was no momentum loss. It was a like, yeah, let's go baby. Like everybody's in it now, but apparently not, not, you know, our goaltender or our defensive zone. <laughs> well, do you think anything's lost now that the fighting is not part of the game? Like obviously everything around it, all the consequences of it, we know now how dangerous it can be, but like, do you think there's something that gets lost in terms of like, I don't know, people talk about respect, like as someone who did it. I, um, 
you know, I think early on, and people would probably think, well, I mean, of course, this guy's backing up fighting. It's how he's making his living uh, with the stuff off the face off. I would say I was maybe a little bit stubborn about it at the beginning, but I am I'm very thankful that that type of stuff is gone. I think I I personally really like the organic stuff. I think it's a man's game and I can appreciate hockey with that aspect in it. You know, I I, I don't. It's, it's very hard sometimes listening to people have their opinion who have never felt the type of emotions with that type of pressure on the line, with, with given everything that's presented to you as a professional athlete and how hard these guys are competing. That's how I feel about it. You know, I'm not really willing to have an FU match with someone who, who thinks the contrary, but that's, that's where I'm at with it. Well, what was that like? Like, what's like the anxiety like day to day, like when you're in that role? It's well, me not being as tough as, as some of these other guys, you know, I just, you know, you, you, you know, you don't want to get knocked out and be on the ice and then have to be out for, for a couple weeks, you know, and, and, um, it, you know, just, just the pregame nap and the night before and, and before the game, like, like I would have this knot in my stomach and I think, I, I don't know over the course of the history, but I know personally, I just wanted to get out the fight, the fight out of the way right away. I wanted it done in the first period so I can just focus on playing after that um, because, you know, then you have to sit with that the whole game and not only worry about your duties as a player, but at the fact that if you're not paying attention to when this guy's up and when he might be challenging you and next thing you know, you're eating his left hand and, and uh, your jaws on the other side of your head. Well, I mean, you, it's, it's, you know, it's something you got to be concerned about. So you go from, you, you played 202 games in the NHL. You were a healthy scratch for, a lot too, which I know you've been candid about and talked about. I mean, when did you start thinking that that a career in media could potentially be something for you to pursue? Um, I I, I thought initially that eventually it would turn into something, just given the social following. I wasn't really sure what it was going to be, and then the the wake up call came when I couldn't get a contract in my uh, in my last year of the NHL with the Arizona Coyotes, and then I went to camp on a PTO to St. Louis. And then I, I just went back home after that. I had a blast at camp and I sat on my couch for about a month and, and finally I ended up getting a contract. But that, that point right there made me realize, Hey, you got to start thinking of a transition. And eventually the conversation came up with the coyotes. Cause I loved playing here. Um, they had an opening and I pretty much locked up that job with a half, a half a season left in my last year after I tore my, uh, my right ACL. And, you know, I, of course, eventually jumped on the podcast, which is, that's me. And, and I don't, we can, we can talk about certain things that we like to joke around about. And I know that it's not for some people, but we're tucked away in a corner. If you want to come listen to us, you can listen to us. And to me, that's, that's what I love the most about the game because it goes back to my role as a player. When, when you're, you're a fighter and you're, you're not having to worry about a lot of minutes, you got to keep the room light. Uh, you have to contribute in other areas. And I just found myself really enjoying the stories being told in the locker room and, you know, and maybe some of the off ice activities, um, you know, to a certain <laughs> degree, I think we can all eventually grow up. I'm not like going to the bar or clubs anymore and, and, you know, sniffing counters, but um, yeah, it's, 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 it, it was part of me and I, I don't mind still talking about it. And that's, that's us over there. So the media career kind of has taken on a mind of its own and it wasn't really ever pre-planned. Well, so I'm curious, like, because your podcast, I, I think your podcast is good for hockey because I don't know if you felt this way, James, you might too. Hockey's always kind of felt stuffy. And like, even when 
in earlier years, like there were controversies over players celebrating goals. Do you feel like hockey's kind of opening up a little bit and letting players kind of be who they are a little bit more than in the past? I think you're seeing that people are craving it and especially the next wave of fan. I think, uh, it, it's hard because you have such a traditional sport and, and you have that old school following that wants to consume the way that they've always grown up consuming it. But yet as a company, you have to worry about your next wave of consumer and people love looking at what Max Domi's wearing into the arena or Austin Matthews or, or what silly thing that William Nylander is doing with his shirt off right now to get the ladies going. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, <laughs> that's part of the draw now and in, in the next wave of, of people because everybody's on their cell phones, they're into the social media. So I, I, I think that the NHL is doing a good job of, of doing it slowly. And, and well, I shouldn't say that. To me personally, doing it faster would be better, but at least they're they're willing to adapt and slowly adjust and start with, with doing these types of things because you see how how much basketball has taken off and it's it's worldwide now. So so Paul, um, we announced you were coming on and we got some some blowback for that. Our podcast is kind of yeah, you know, we talk a lot we talk a lot about analytics. We talk we're kind of like a cerebral look at the Leafs and look at the NHL. We talk about you know salary caps and all kinds of stuff and. Right. I think there's a lot of fans that of our fans are saying, "Why would you have this person on? He doesn't. Yeah. This isn't. This isn't someone that I want to hear from. That has. It doesn't yeah. fit with what I come to you guys for. Like, um, like, like, how do you how do you respond to that? That some people just have no time for for well, what's happening I guess the on your podcast. I guess the frustrating part is is a lot of them probably haven't even listened and, and they hear about w- what's going on. So it's, it's some of which is being com- taken completely out of context. And as I said earlier, though, some of it, I, I can completely understand why some people wouldn't want to come listen and that's fine. But to like come at me and attack me and try to throw me in these, this, this group of either being racist or, or, or sexist or, or whatever word they want to use towards me. That's where I just, I'm like, what? Like recently, this J.D. Burke guy, and, and this guy, I, I believe he's worked with The Athletic before, and I reached out to you about him, Myrtle. He, he insinuated that our podcast is racist because we had uh, um, Brendan Preston recently. Well, I'll tell you how this all played out, okay? I, I'm sure you guys are well aware of what happened with the press situation. Was we interviewed Brendan Prust two months ago while we were in Toronto. And just based on timing and how we like to drop episodes, we ended up releasing them on, on Monday morning very early in the morning. Well, later on Monday evening, he ended up getting in, involved in, in something with uh, with a woman online. Now, keep in mind, I still haven't really dive, dove into it because I told you I'm trying to stay off of social media and especially with those types of situations because I just, I don't want to be bothered with it. I know what I am. These people continue to come at me and attack me and, and call me these names and that's fine, whatever. Just do what you got to do. So I... I log off Twitter after I normally do on Monday after posting. Usually I just post all, all of our stuff, like whatever clips we have out, blah, blah, blah. I, and, I, and I sometimes log off Twitter and I did that. So when this happened Monday night, I didn't even see what was going on. So then I hop back on, log on on Tuesday. I repost the podcast and then I have all these people coming after me like, oh, like, of course, like, oh, uh, read the room, biz. Read what fucking room? I like I, I logged off, I logged back on, I, I, I sent out an interview that I did two months ago, and now because of the timing, and, and, and I'm I swear on my I swear on my mother's life, I had no idea when I sent that had what had happened. And I still really don't. 
If you have an issue with Brandon Prust, go take it up with Brandon Prust. Like, do you, like Mark Myrtle, do you think I'm any of those things that these people call me on a day-to-day basis? And Jonas, I'll ask you the same thing. Like, it's just like, I, I, I listen, if you want to call me an asshole, sure, I'll take that. To call me, right? Half these people messaging at me had no clue of the timeline. And they probably have no clue my mother's half black. I know, yeah, I, I know you personally a little bit. And I know, I don't associate you with any of those things in terms of the interactions I know that I've had with you personally and the interactions you've had with the hockey community at large. And um, the, the the way the question, one of the questions we got was framed was he wants to, he, he wanted to hear Paul weigh in on some of the toxic elements of hockey's bro culture. Well, and if, if he, he listened to the podcast, he would hear us weigh in on those subjects because we do constantly. That's but the we got point a, I'm we, making. But we, we got a different audience here though, Paul, that wants oh, to hear course, you talk about. But that's what I'm saying is, is a lot of the time it's insinuated as if we don't. And what I'm saying is if you listen to the podcast, we weighed in on the Bill Peters stuff. That was fucking bullshit what he did. Right. And he, and, and, and I don't know him personally. I I've met him one time and, you know, obviously I maybe think a little bit differently of him and I hope he can move on and really learn from this and understand the pain he might've caused somebody because I'm obviously not down with that when it goes to the sexist stuff, because we, we talk about, you know, sex on the podcast. I would argue that half these people follow comedians that talk about sex in their standup routines. So they're just hypocrite. Like, 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 are you speaking for all women that that are like, no, we don't want to hear sex stories? Like, I have women that come up to me all the time that tell me they think they're funny. It's like whatever. Like, you put sex on a pedestal and you don't think you should talk about it on our podcast, then don't fucking listen. Like, it's like I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna fit into this mold that some stranger who's on their fucking phone all day wants me to be. I think things are going all right for me. And listen, like I said, you can call me an asshole. You can, you can hate my podcast, you, but to, to call me any of those real nasty words, I think uh, like that J.D. Burke guy did and like that Andrew Berkshire does, I, I think that that is very, very dangerous. And I think it's such a, a bullshit insinuation considering you know nothing about me. It's, it's dangerous, Myrtle. Is it not? To, to feed their following, to insinuate that our podcast is racist because we interviewed Brendan Puss two months ago. Brendan Pruss's issue, I guess, was was a woman posted a meme of 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 categorizing uh, white people as as all viewing the same type of things. Now, I don't know what was said back and forth because I once again, I just want to get I'll go get away from that stuff. He whatever he thinks about it, go talk to Brendan Prust. I want nothing to do with that conversation. I want to put my head down. I want to work and I want to stay in my own little corner. And if you like what I'm doing, come visit. All right, Paul, let me finish the question that the, the user asked. And I, like, I, I get why like you're upset about this because you face a lot of stuff that's all day, that's every, day. That's, every day, every day, every day, every day. That's not I got, fair. I, I, Myrtle, here's not, another one. Here's another I get one. It too. I, I get it too. I mean, Jonas, I'll ask you as well. So I, uh, so, so when, uh, when Austin Matthews this summer, he, uh, he released a picture with his mustache and everybody said he looked like the character from Narcos. So the team started calling him Pablo. So I send out a, a tweet after like a few weeks of this all happening and everybody in media joking around about it. And I, I say, oh, like uh, I joked around calling him Pablo about the, uh, the Sabrin thing when he looked at his jersey. Like show, I said, show some respect to the plugs, Pablo. I got the same crowd coming after me that I'm racist. It's just like... 
Like what? Like, come on, man! It's you can't reason with these people. It's it's craziness. The question, the question from one of our listeners said, "Do you feel a duty to try and clean up some of the toxicity that is in hockey? Like some of the things that you're talking about, Bill Peters. I know you had guests on talking about Mike Babcock and some of the things that went on with Mike Babcock. I know that your podcast has kind of op- shone a light on some of this stuff in some cases, right? Uh, usually all of it, and that's why I'm. That's why I was just surprised by the question. It was like it felt like an insinuation that it like wasn't already happening. We talked about the Bill Peters. I hammered on Babcock. I hammered on Babcock because I think that the way that he went at it, that was bush league. And you saw Franzen's. Uh, did you see Franzen's yes. interview? Yes. That's yep. how. That imagine. Imagine that. Imagine that. Listen. If, I, I, I tell you what, I love winning hockey games, but not that much. Not that much. And I, and I spoke out against that. We had Akeem Alou on recently. And even Akeem Alou was like, man, I want people to know that this is one big happy family that I feel that it's – I mean, you can go listen to it. We had him on. Uh, not not uh, Excuse me, not Akeem Alou, Akeel Thomas. My, 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 and that was another situation, of course. You know, he, he had to come out and talk. And we were behind him as well. If he ever wanted to come on the podcast and talk about that, we'd come in with open arms. Here's another one for you. Women's hockey. We feel a duty that we, as a, as a big platform in the hockey world now, we need to help women's hockey. And since that was really brought to light, we've been doing our, our part, we feel. We dropped off cases of Pink Whitney to them at the, the All-Star game. We wanted to make sure we we covered that. We would love to get them on as, as guests in the future. We had uh, um, the coin on. Uh, I think right after her fastest skater. So we're, we, we want to, we, we want to help out all these different sides of, of the hockey community where fe- people feel that there's not being light shunned on. We, we just also want to do things our way, but it seems that people have a problem with that also. Well, Paul, I kind of get the sense that you're not on social media as much anymore. And I'm just curious if you were like a player today, if you were still playing and, and we've kind of heard this a little bit from guys with the Leafs, that they have to kind of stay off social media. How would you handle like Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff right now, given how, like, I don't know, we can see how it, it can affect all of us. Like, would you stay off it entirely if you were these guys? I think it's toxic. I would, t- I would tell my ch- children to stay off of it. Yes. I, I just, now, now I used to go on and I used to have fun with it. Right. So now given the climate and, and, and where we are as a podcast, I go on and I, I usually just tweet out the business aspect of what we've been putting out through podcasts and or YouTube. Um, some fans comment sometimes. I say, hey, thanks. We appreciate it. We, I try to show love and support back to people who follow us. And of course, you, you just try to avoid the negativity as much as possible. And I found the easiest way to do that is ever since the Carcillo situation is just really log off. I just I want nothing to do with it. I don't want to argue with people anymore. I just want to do what I want to do. You know what though, Paul? It's kind of like, like Twitter in, it gave a lot to you, right? Like it, like yes, you said, it, like it gave you the, it gave you the platform. It kind of made you personality. It turned you from a guy who, and it's, you know, it's the same for me. Like I mean, you know, like the uh, social media has been a huge factor in the athletic succeeding, absolutely, and in, in people reading our work. And so it's there's a lot of good that can come from so, social media and from that interaction and from people that you. I'm sure you've met people on Twitter that have become your friends in real life. And like, there's a, you know, you and I DM sometimes and, and it's, it's, it's a great connector of people, but it's also a great divider too. So it's kind of, yeah. it's such an interesting, uh, it's an interesting tool that way. No. It, it, and, and like I said, I'm, I mean, 
I can thank my my post career for social media. I just I'm kind of in the mind frame now where I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna you know secure the bag and then I'm gonna get out. I'm dipping out. I we, I talk to Ryan all the time about it. It's just one of those things where it's it's uh, I I'm a I'm a I'm a fairly sensitive guy. That's why I get so intense when these subjects come up about questioning my character because I have to constantly on a day to day basis protect my my family name. Um, and, and tell people, listen, I want the hockey community to grow in every facet, in, including inclusion. I don't care what, what race you are, what your sexual preference is. I don't care. If you love the game of hockey, come on. And, 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 and Myrtle, like the reason why I jumped on your platform, knowing that most of the people who listen to you guys probably hate my guts is because I don't think it, think of it from the publicity standpoint. I think of it Yo, Myrtle, like you're a good dude, and 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 maybe some people that follow me would really like what you guys talk about over here. So they're going to get to learn a different aspect of the game, which is analytics and maybe a little bit more of the technical side. Because in all reality, Jonas and, and and Myrtle, you guys are probably smarter in that category than me. Like, and 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 you, and especially in the analytics category. So you have you offer something to the hockey community that's different from what I do. So I love snapping it around, and I think that we're all in this together. Let's go. So it's just hard when when I when I hear, get these comments on a day to day basis, where I'm like, "What are these people hearing? Like, are they even listening?" Is this where we start the three hour part of the podcast? Yeah, we talk yeah, about yeah. Analytics. This is <laughs> and and Jonas and Myrtle. I'm sorry for rambling on. I just felt like like that that portion had to be talked about. That you know, it kind of boils my blood a little bit. But but when I calm down, I just want everyone to know that. Like I'm not a, I'm not an evil person, but if you do come at me in a negative way, I'm a bit of a pit bull and I, I've, I've, I've done all right so far in my life acting as such. And I'm going to continue. I just, I, I like, I think that the, the way this question was framed was fair in that they want to see you as someone who's helping change the culture. And I think what Jonas is talking about in your podcast, how you're getting people to express themselves more openly as, well, as let's players. put it this way. It's what, a positive. First of all, absolutely. And as I said, I think we have. I, uh, I, I don't think that like, like I don't want to spend all of my energy trying to do that. I think that everybody needs to take care of their own business and everyone just smartened up. Um, we have people who follow our podcast who might have different views than me. And we make it very clear as, as opposed to what we believe in as a core value on the podcast when Sean Avery was the first one to step up uh, supporting um, the, you know, the gay community, the LGBT community, I reposted it right away saying like, way to go. Like this guy is, you know, this guy's kind of brown, groundbreaking. And at the time I was young and, and selfish and I really didn't, I wasn't even like thinking about that. So I, I ever since then, I, I've tried to like do my part. And when I, anytime I get a chance to talk, let everyone know that this is a, an inclusive sport. And there may be people who have been in it in the past who don't have those values. Well, I ain't down with those people. <laughs> and I hope we can get rid of them too. One of, one of the amazing things on the show that you guys are able to do is get get players who otherwise are maybe not that interesting to come on and, and really open themselves up. And like, I mean, some of the interviews you've had, like, like Sidney Crosby and um, I mean, the one that when Austin Matthews, I mean, I, you've, you've obviously gotten to know Austin a little bit with the Coyotes. Um, what are some of those relationships like that you've been able to build with, with some of the stars in the game? Well, we always got to bring it back to, to the Leafs and we actually just had Marlo <laughs> on and Marlo was, 
he is such a classy guy. I, I he's like Ned Flanders, but he ain't, he's never going to snap. <laughs> you know, he's, he's kind of like he is kind of like Ned Flanders. Yeah, he just, is. He's so quiet. Like I, I, it really surprised me that he gravitated towards the goofy young guys when he was here. But I guess he's got that silly side to him that you don't see come out most of the time. Yeah, I, I guess it's one of those situations where he's he's not very vocal and you could tell that in his playing days it's he's probably absorbed so much of what he's seen that i wish that i could maybe put his mind in, in my body one day and just like tell it all you know but he just he just you know he's he's happy with who he is and and he's had an incredible career and he came on and you know he talked about the relationships a little bit and i think hopefully we got a little bit more out of him than what you would normally get because he's, you know, he's such a, an interesting guy and he's, you know, he's to me for longevity, I put him in the Hall of Fame. People might think I'm crazy, but how many players have played 1500 games in the NHL's history? Eight? Well, I think he's he's going to get the record, right? He's going to pass Gordy Howe. That's what I'm saying. NHL. Yeah, and and that's even with the lockouts thrown in there and all the Okay, you know, so that's a question that... for you guys, Myrtle. Do you think based on longevity and maybe not personal achievement that he should be in, inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame? I think he's going to be awfully close to getting in. I mean, his his numbers are good too. It's not like he didn't. It's not like he's a plug. So, I mean, the longevity one. My guy's Mark Recchi. I'm from Kamloops. Mark Recchi's from Kamloops. He was the star for the Blazers, and and there were people that said Mark Recchi shouldn't go in just because he just played for a long time, and that's why he has all the goals and the points. And it's like playing as long as Mark Recchi did is really fucking hard. Like it's not easy to to do what he did. So, I, I'm I'm fully on board with the longevity argument. I think that that makes sense. Yeah, let's 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 start firing tweets off at the Hockey Hall of Fame. Make sure we get our boys in. <laughs> Who do you want in, well, Jonas? Let's go. Let's get a little. See, well, see, I'm the wrong guy to ask. I think the Hall of Fame should be way more exclusive than it is. I think it should be unless you were like one of the best players in the sport at any point in your career, you're in. And if not, you're not. But that's not the way any of the Hall of Fames work. Like they let everybody in. Okay. Wow. Okay. So this is a bit of a debate. Now I'm, I'm the easiest guy going. I'd throw Shane Doan in there for crying out loud. I <laughs> hey, mean, well, so that's another camp. It's another Kamloops guy. So I'm with, I'm with you there. <laughs> Myrtle, I'm throwing you in there. Let's go, baby. <laughs> I'm glad you bring up Shane Doan because I want to bring it back to the Leafs. You mentioned like Matthews and Marlowe. I wondered, like, did did Matthews remember you from growing up in Arizona? Like, did, did he, was he like a fan of yours as a kid? Did you, did you talk about that at all? We've never had that conversation, but he's, huh. you know, he's a, he's a great kid. What a natural talent too. You guys got to treat there. And, and he, I mean, by the time it's all said and done, he might be one of the greatest American born goal scorers. Do you think he can pass Brett Hall? He might be well, one I of guess the best. Brett Hall kinda, he, he's back and forth, right? He's, I don't know what he, what, what is his nationality now? Yeah, <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, in Canada, we still claim Brett as as Canadian. So, okay. I mean, his dad was his dad was Canadian. So, come on, like he played. Well, Brett had seven hundred and forty one goals. Oh. Yeah. Do you think you think Matthews passes that? I hope oh. I don't don't kick up any dust there with the Brett Hall comment because then he played for Team USA at the Olympics. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. no, no. I mean, he was yeah. a dual citizen, right? So he could have. Okay. He, uh, I think early on in his career, he wasn't. He didn't make some of the Team Canada he wasn't in consideration for some of those teams like world juniors and whatever. And I think that's why he ended up playing for yeah. the U S I think at some point he had the decision to play for one or the other. So, um, where, where, where were we going? We were talking about Matthews. Yeah. I mean, I think Matthews can, can get there. I think he can get to 700 goals and I think Matthews can go down as one of, if not the 
best Leafs ever. I think that he can have his jersey retired here. I think he can all those things if if he stays in Toronto his whole career. I mean, he's the talent level that it, that he has is just unbelievable. We haven't seen a player like this play in Toronto for. You know, I mean, I remember, I remember when he was first coming in, we, people were comparing him to Sundin, but I think that, you know, just his natural talent is going to gonna push him past there. So, uh, Do you guys think that this season getting cut off is essentially a positive thing for the, for the Toronto Maple Leafs? Do you think they dodged one of, of maybe underachieving this year? Well, no, because, like, they're going to be remembered as being underachievers if they don't come back. Like, I, I they were starting – to look a little bit better and they were and they obviously played better under Sheldon Keith than they did under under Mike Babcock. So they had a chance to go into a playoff series against Tampa and potentially win and erase like all of the nonsense that happened throughout the season where they were inconsistent and they were losing games they shouldn't have lost and they the, like they had a chance to rewrite kind of the story of their season and they're not going to get it now. So so no, I mean and they and they lose a year of of contention with all their young guys too. Yeah, my apologies. I, my assumption would have been a first round exit, and that's that's Bush League because I actually even said on the podcast if they did get matched up with Tampa, that could that could have been the best thing that happened to them because that's right in their wheelhouse. And I think they had success with uh, yep later in the season against them, didn't they? Yep, yep, yep. They always they always played Tampa really well. Yeah. Well, but Paul, I'm curious. Like, where do you stand on like one of the, the conversations that we have in Toronto all the time, and we were having it like before the season stopped was what's the line of having too much of like the same thing, like too many skill guys as opposed to like you try to bring in Muzzin, you try to bring in Kyle Clifford, you try to bring in like these guys who who have a little bit of a different element. Like do you think that can be – is that overhyped? Is that real? Like you've been in these games. Like how much should that grit and all that stuff matter? Well, I think that, that you need glue guys and I don't know – you know, there's going to be arguments on what type of roles certain guys play that are, that are needed in, in today's NHL. But the the problem I have is it's kind of proven over the last little bit here is to 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 give so few players that much money hasn't really worked. I mean, you've seen the last Cup winners, and as soon as Chicago's guys got their their big deals kicked in, it was very difficult to compete because so much of that money was being allocated to such a small group. So, um. You know, I feel that if the cap does go up, which I mean, I don't know what's what's going to happen with the situation here in the in the, in the coronavirus and how that's going to affect that. It's but probably not going up. Yeah. It's yeah. Well, there you go. And and I I felt that bringing in Clifford and then of course with Muzzin already being there and even Jack Campbell, you know, those guys were coming from an environment where maybe, well Campbell wasn't around when they won, but at least they know what the team aspect has to look like in order to have a shot. And maybe those guys who came in can can help, you know, alter guys and maybe to get them buy in in other areas where they maybe didn't even see they weren't buying in before and they can help mold the team and and turn it into a winner. And I think that Toronto does need a little bit of that, but I mean, you got to remember here too, like these guys are still very very young. And I would say their window starts maybe next year as their one of their bigger windows, but probably two, three years down the road is when they're going to be really getting judged. I, w- I always wonder about this, Paul, because like I wonder if you felt this as a guy in a dressing room. Like the Leafs have had situations at times, you know, when they ran into injuries where on the roster they had like 11 or 12 guys that are making league minimum or close to that. And then you've got four or five guys making almost all of the money. Like, does that could that cause problems in the dressing room or in the interactions where there's just like this, there's this huge imbalance where, 
it was always talked about when the cab came in that the middle class would get hollowed out and we're starting and it to see has. That on, on, on some of the, it took a long time, but it's starting to happen more and more. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely. And I think that's where the people argue with the soft cap situation and where that would, would help that. Um, I don't, I like the way it is right now because I do think that there is definitely a competitive balance. It just gets a little unfortunate where like a team like Toronto, they have this wave of individuals because they've drafted and been lucky and developed properly and a combination of everything where all these guys all of a sudden need to be signed. And, you know, they're getting punished for, for having done that. And I guess part of it with the hard cap is you, you have to have a general manager and he has to be able to figure out a way to manage that. So the, there's so many different variables, how people like and what they like about the rules that are in place. I would, I would be okay seeing a soft cap situation, but you know, the owners don't want to see it. Well, but it is kind of dumb. Like you developed lots of good players. You develop like, look at Chicago, like all those players that came out of Chicago, Ladd and, and Bufflin and like all the guys they had to get rid of. It doesn't totally make sense that you get punished for actually being good at what you're supposed to be good at. Yeah. The, the problem, that's, the, that's the, a good argument. The, the problem the NHL has is that there's a lot of teams that don't have a revenue base where they can spend. Like they 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 need. It's but not that's not NBA, all revenue. Like, like that's that's development, James. Like that's like that. There's some skill to that. It's not all just money. Well, the way that it worked before there was a cap is there were teams that didn't have the revenue base, so they would lose their good players even if they developed them and drafted them and everything uh, anyway. Like then, I, then I remember York going, would, and then New York would yeah. sign them and they wouldn't do anything. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like there there was some degree of I like I grew up you know watching the Western Canada teams when there wasn't a cap and Edmonton and Vancouver and Calgary would lose everybody and they would go to these other teams Detroit's payroll would be three times whatever the Canucks were and they would play in the first round of the playoffs and it's like this hardly seems fair so like there's got to be some kind of a balance some sort of something between the two worlds and the problem that hockey has is that their tv deal is not as big as the NBA it's not as big as baseball or the NFL there's not as much shared revenue between all the teams so they can't have like this huge they can't have a bunch of teams with a payroll of 40 million and a bunch of teams with 120 million it's just it's not going to work those Fair those enough. teams with the 40 mil, the teams with the 40 million payroll aren't going to survive like it's like can you imagine how much harder to find the right answer right now it's just like there's so <laughs> many it's like in a rubik's cube like how do we figure out the right way and everyone i mean someone's going to be upset um oh go ahead sorry guys I was going to ask we a question, to, but I completely forgot we were, what it was. Well, I was going to say, like, imagine if Arizona, like, if if they couldn't have the kind of payroll that they do right now, and they couldn't have Kessel, and they couldn't have Taylor Hall, and they you watch your mouth when you're talking about the Coyotes. Hey, well, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying the cap <laughs> no, benefits. No, the cap benefit. The cap ben. Yeah, <laughs> the cap benefits a, a market like that. I'm, I'm like you with the Coyotes. I'm like the biggest homer, but I'm well aware of it and I acknowledge it. But but I completely agree. It's there's so many. There's so many things to worry about from a league standpoint. And even even with this situation, you're not going to be able to keep anyone happy. What about teams that gave gave up assets in order to make a run this year because it was one of their core years, like Boston? And now all of a sudden, what do you do? Do you just does, do they lose that first rounder? If the season does it play out? There are a Probably. bunch of teams in that boat. Like Vegas <laughs> traded for Robin Lehner and Tampa traded for Coleman and uh, Barclay Goodrow. And there are a bunch of a bunch of the contending teams gave up good players and first round picks. And and it, look at Vancouver got Tyler Toffoli and their team's given up a lot for guys that only played six or seven games for them if there's no season. But I don't know how you fix that. I don't think there's a way to fix that. You can't undo trades. Yeah. 
it's it's a it's a big big mess that somebody else has to figure out and thank god it's not us well before we wrap up i have one question that i really wanted to ask you paul about arizona yeah what's your favorite Ilya brisgalov story oh my goodness <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like sometimes he would just walk in with the most ridiculously. He we walked in one day with this like light blue, ridiculously baggy sweater, and it it, it just looked different. And I'm like, what is that? And he he, he it was like a five thousand dollar cashmere sweater, but because it was five thousand, he thought it was like stylish and it looked awesome. But he was just he he was like insulted that I when I asked him a question. <laughs> So he was such a he was just such a different guy and you never knew what you were going to get before games he would not speak to anyone he was so serious um and I mean god I can't really remember like any other ones that that stick out other than you know he would he would be pissed if we were up 4-1 and like maybe it deep pinched and then we ended up winning 4-2 and you know he had a goal against so he was uh he was an intense guy um I mean, I can't, uh, all that stuff that happened to him in Philly, it was a shame too, because you could c- kind of see that it probably did affect him. But what was interesting is we had Sean Burke on our podcast, and I think that's a, he, a reason, a big reason why he had as much success as he did in Arizona is because, you know, Sean Burke's like the goalie whisperer. He's helped out a lot of guys, Dubnik, uh, Brzgalov, who else was here? Who, oh, Mike Smith. I mean, the year he had his run when we went to the uh, conference finals. Um, but he told Briz, he goes, he goes, you know, your career is going to be over in a few years. If, if, if you're going to get ran out of Philly, like they chew their goalies up. But, but, and he, and he told, that was his honest opinion when Brizgala asked him what he should do about the contract he was being offered. And although Berkey was honest with him, he, he did, of course decided to take the money as Berkey said, I knew he was going to take the money and it unfolded exactly how Brian, uh, or excuse me, Sean Burke had predicted. And, and it's unfortunate because I think he was a very good hockey personality that, and, and the game needs those type of guys. Do you think that happens too often where guys just go for the money, but they go to the wrong place? Like I, I've seen that so many times where if they just took a little bit less or a little bit shorter contract and they go somewhere where it's going to, then it's going to work out better for them because they're going to play in the league longer. They're going to be happier, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And you know, sometimes you scratch your head. I mean, one, one rumor that I heard was Dezingle that he turned down a five times five in Ottawa. That before he got ended up getting traded to Columbus. Okay, mm. now I don't know if there's any truth to that. Do you have you guys heard that at all? I don't know that for sure, but we we've certainly okay. had some guys in Toronto that have been in situations like that. Okay, so that that's a situation that I I haven't really confirmed. I'll use it as an example hypothetically, and or the like Mikel Bodker not signing with the Coyotes and then going to Colorado at the deadline, but he went to Columbus. It. I don't want to say it landed flat, but it, I don't. I don't think it it benefited him in any way. Where you know, I think he would have signed and maybe stayed in Ottawa for more money, and then all of a sudden free agency hits, and you know, he ended up signing I think a two year deal at six million in Carolina. Now, if he did get off of that contract and he thought maybe that wasn't a place where he was going to be happy, then all the power to him. He left nineteen sheets on the floor. That's that's <laughs> oof. I would not sleep for, I don't know, probably a good uh, 400 days if I turned that down. I'd be sick to my stomach. But if if these guys were happier where they ended up and money wasn't the, wasn't what they were after, then as I said, all the power to them because they're probably a lot happier off. Uh, Jonas asked you about Breezegalov stories. Do you have any stories about Austin Matthews and your interactions with him? I, like, Do you see him around Arizona and what's the relationship like with him? 
I just think he's. I'm. I. I it's kind of cool to see. He's. He's not only a star player, but he's very unique in his outright. He's. I mean, he's buddies with Bieber. He's into that hype beast fashion. Uh, I think that correlates well with the young fans, and that he's on social media and he's willing to put himself out there. So, I. I, I love it. I think I'm I'm very happy for him, and I hope it all works out in Toronto. I hope you guys get your Stanley Cup while he's there. So did you grow up a Leafs fan? I asked you that earlier. I don't think we got the answer. Did you grow up cheering for the Leafs? Yeah, I go off on uh, on little tangents. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> I uh, I can remember where I was when when uh, Gilmore got high stuck by Gretzky. I was I was more of a Doug Gilmore and him his fan. I followed them closely. But I was never really a, a fan of, of the team as hardcore as you'd think. I was more into individual players. Like I was a big Chris Pronger fan because I was a defenseman. And believe it or not, my idol growing up was Adam Foote. I just loved the way he wow. played. I loved the way he played the game. I think the fact that he had a huge nose kind of fit right into my wheelhouse. <laughs> I he was a, a good huge, player. He, he was, was a just good a player. And he was mean and he was tough. And he, he eventually started chipping in offensively a little bit. And you just you, you you usually knew what you were getting every night from him, and that's what I was aspiring to be. Did you ever get to face Pronger? I think I might have been on the ice with him one time, but then the coach was probably like, "Hey, save your lungs for the for the other lines there, bud." <laughs> but uh, I, I grew up going to some Leaf games, and uh, yeah, I was I, I had a Doug Gilmore jersey. I remember he signed my baseball my leather baseball cap at the Penn Center in St. Catharines one time, and it was one of my prized wow. possessions. Well, I think we're I think we're wrapping up, Biz. We appreciate you giving us all the time. We want to let you get back to your hiking. Guys, uh best of luck in your careers. I hope this ends soon. Everyone stay safe, of course. And and like I said before, um, you know, I I want hockey to be as inclusive as inclusive as possible. And 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 maybe given that comment and question by the guy, I'll I'll try to go even further in order to bring it up. But you know, I just I'd I I I'd like to kind of focus on some other things as well. Well, to that point. Biz, just before you go, I do think there is one of the issues I think in hockey right now is there's not enough of like conversation, like just under trying to understand the other person's side. It's very, I'm in this camp, you're in that camp, we can't see eye to eye. And I think there's room, like if you talk to people, you'll kind of figure out that you, you see things not so differently in a lot of cases. Right. And I also think that there's like, if, if these people actually sat down in a room, they'd find out that they're actually really not that different from each other. And I, I think yeah. sometimes the online arguments get, it all gets lost in translation. That's why I don't even bother anymore. Cause like, like I said, if, if, if I even try to engage with some of these people, it's just like they, they attack where I've said my piece, this is what I am. If they want to have, if certain people want to have assumptions about it and, and be more erratic about it, let them be. And 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 extremists to any degree, I I don't I don't want anything I don't want anything to do with them. And I think that we we all know there's there's a lot a lot of good people involved with the game of hockey. And I think that that's kind of being overseen as well. Well, Biz, I hope that at some point in the near future you are back on alcohol and we are having a beer or a pink Whitney. Well, or something I'll have a pink Whitney somewhere. Some bottles. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let's have a pink Whitney, whether it's in Arizona or Toronto or whatever. Um, Really appreciate you coming on and, and taking the time, and um, best of luck with uh, with all of your many projects that you've got going on right now. All right, man. Thank you so much. Hopefully some of the fans that are still left liked it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that was Paul Bissonette, um, his Spit and Chiclet podcast. They just had Joe Buck on, James. 
Like they're, yeah, they they're get, big time. They get some really remarkable guests and it's he's had Paul's had such an interesting career path going from you know barely hanging on to the bottom of an NHL roster and then to what he's doing now and you know in like I said in my experiences with him and what I know from him I know he's trying to be a, an agent for good and an agent for change and I think that his heart is in the right place I mean we it's the same thing with guys like Jeff O'Neill and some of the former players they're maybe they're not like not the most polished you know, in terms of, um, you know, some of the, some of the other media personalities, but there's an authenticity there. And, um, there are, there are things wrong with hockey that need to be fixed. And I, I think that by bringing some groups together, like you were talking about, I think that that can be, that can be a positive. Well, one thing I found, and I'm sure you found this too, because we both talked to him is like Jeff O'Neill is a really good example. He's very curious about like a lot of the, the analytics, like he yes. wants to learn. And I also think that like that has to go the other way. There have to be people who are more inclined to the numbers and the data and looking at that stuff to try to understand where people like that are coming from, who people who see the game just a little bit differently. Like we don't, we don't have to be in camps. Like we're, it's not black and white. Like the game is very gray. And I, I just think there is more room to kind of try to understand what Paul Bissonnette sees when he watches the game and, and see if anything there sticks out to you or is right. Like, I think that's, I think that's probably why you've had like some interactions with him as he, he sees the game obviously very differently from you. Yeah. But there's a mutual respect there and sure. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting that, uh, as we were talking about, they, they're kind of getting players to open up and they're talking about, you know, some of the stuff that happened with Babcock and Bill Peters and they're they're talking about, and, and players are comfortable on their platform. And I think it's better to have people talking and thinking about this stuff and getting current and former players thinking about, I mean, it's bigger than even just how you think about hockey. It's how you think about life and the world and I think it's a positive for the game if that can happen happen more and more. So anyway, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what the feedback is from the podcast. Um, and, you know, and we'd like to hear, you know, from more guests. I just, I got an email that uh, Rich Clune's going to be our guest, I think next week. So um, that'll be excellent too. It's It's been great having some of the current and, and former players come on and uh, we're open to more feedback for other people you'd like to hear uh, us bring on the podcast. And if you're not yet a subscriber, you can go to theathletic.com slash leaf report. Uh, we're doing a free trial right now uh, during the shutdown. Tons of good content on the site. Um, thanks for the people that are subscribing already. You know, we really appreciate the support. Well, James, I was hoping we could get into uh, the Zach Hyman contract Jason Spezza future, but I think we'll save that for maybe next week or the week after. Cause I do think that's, especially yeah. Hyman is like a really interesting conversation. So maybe we'll save that for next week. We've got lots of time, Jonas. Um, We've got, we got lots, lots of shows of left to do. Yeah. Yeah. Just before we wrap, is there anything like you've watched, read, done that's, that's out of the norm that you liked? Oh my, I'm going to embarrass myself and say, I've just been playing a lot of video games. So it's, <laughs> All right, I'm get, that's okay. I, I'm getting, I'm becoming a very, very competent uh, defenseman in the EA SHL. So, and we've got a big. Uh, we we played for charity last Friday night. I don't know if you were paying attention to that. We played against Pete Blackburn's team, and we uh, we won three games in a row by a, an aggregate score of eighteen to four. And game four, which could be the finale of the series, goes tomorrow. Um, so you can see that on YouTube or on Twitch. I'll be tweeting out the links tomorrow when we're playing those games, but. 
Um, I'm getting involved in competitive online NHL gaming. Apparently, that's that's apparently what I'm oh, doing baby. With, all my, with all my time. Yeah. Did you yep. watch the Michael Jordan doc then, or no? No, I haven't seen it yet. No. I, I wow. should I watch it? Oh yeah, it's awesome. It might those not teams. resonate as much for you because like you're not. I like, watched those basketball. teams like. But yeah, those teams so were like, those, those, that was a dynasty. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And they broke it up. Like, it's just unbelievable. But anyway, um, we should wrap. Uh, thank you to everyone who listens, listens at all during this whole thing. Thanks to Tyler, our producer, and thanks to Biz for coming on. James, I hope you keep well. I hope you keep sane, and we'll keep chatting. <laughs>